Hey, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I have loved hearing from many of you this past week about how the last few episodes have really met you in a unique way and have even caused you to look at this season of your life differently. I got to meet a lady just the other night as I was leading at an event in North Carolina, and she caught me just as I was going off stage, and I was rounding the corner to head to the green room, and I heard someone say my name. And so I peeked back around the corner, and it was two ladies just quietly making their way toward me. And one of the ladies, her name is Mary, she immediately began to tell me as tears welled up in her eyes, how my music has specifically met her on her journey. She said she had even been a fan since our watermark years, so she began to name songs that God had used to mark her life and get her through really challenging seasons. But I loved it so much when she said, and one of your most recent songs that God has used is Evermore. And she went on to tell me that she's coming up on retirement and she's beginning to look at the next season of her life, kind of saying, what's next, Lord? And she said that God has just really used that truth, that His presence is His plan for me as a way of framing her next season. And I just absolutely love that. It makes me so happy. I will say that's been the way the Lord has used this in my own life as well, to hold it as a posture and a perspective that helps me frame each day even. I remember saying this in my book that when we spend time with God in His presence each day, it's as if we become the quiet time. We are formed and shaped as we meet with Him to become more like Him, I love it. I used the word withness in the last episode, and I think that word really helps us to come around this idea of being in God's presence and what that can really look like. I do realize that for some of you, whether it be your wiring, your temperament, the way you were raised, you could even have church hurt. You could also just have a lack of framework like I used to. You might just find yourself a little bit puzzled when I talk about God's presence. And I just want you to know that you are welcome here. And I want you to know that you are very much not alone. And I am still learning to come around what this looks like in my own life. I talk a lot about how God is a God of order. And I believe that us experiencing His order is crucial to our flourishing and even to the world around us flourishing. Our being built in God's presence is ultimately for the building up of others. That's part of the order that I'm talking about. For those of you who are gardeners, you know all that goes into your garden, being able to flourish. And unfortunately, there are steps to a successful garden that just can't be bypassed or skipped or replaced. I wish some of them could be bypassed and skipped. (laughs) But it just takes patience, doesn't it? It takes great intentionality and care. It even takes some trial and error. It's very much the same in learning to spend time with God and even to be very intentionally aware of His presence with us and what that means for us, how that changes how we even go about our day and our lives. In my book, The Life You Long For, I talk about looking to God when it comes to basically all things. (laughs) And I wonder if this might help give us even more framework for God's presence and how and even why God has given us access to Himself in the mundane. This is from the chapter called, Those Who Look to Him. Psalm 34, 5 promises us, those who look to Him are radiant, 
Their faces are never covered with shame. Remember, beloved, you can never go wrong in looking to the Lord. You will meet eyes with your Creator who loves you and knows His own strength and stands ready to show it on your behalf. A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God spent an entire chapter on what he called the gaze of the soul and gave us several biblical references into the fact that looking on God and believing are synonymous terms. He concluded that faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. And he went on to say, Now, if faith is the gaze of the heart at God, and if this gaze is but the raising of the inward eyes to meet the all-seeing eyes of God, then it follows that it is one of the easiest things possible to do. It would be like God to make the most vital thing easy and place it within the range of possibility for the weakest and poorest of us. I so love that the instructions God considers most valuable and vital for us to walk with Him work in every economy and in every season of our lives. Think about it. If life boils down to us hustling and building and achieving all our dreams, how is that inclusive of everyone in every season and in every economy? How does that include the beloved today in parts of the world where they have to chug filthy water and fight to feed their children? Not to get off topic, but seriously, let's think beyond the American dream. We belong to a much bigger story. That story includes the multitude of the beloved from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages that we will find ourselves shoulder to shoulder with on round God's throne one day. I find it incredibly beautiful and encouraging that God made it so that anyone who puts her trust in Him now bears the highest calling in life to be the beloved child of God. And what's most vital to this calling, to keep looking to God, anyone can do. Even in terms of a spiritual economy, think about the weak and poor in spirit among us. For those who are fighting through unimaginable brokenness and pain in their stories, who have had trouble rising just to do the basics today, God has made the most vital thing effortless, to lift the eyes of our weary souls to this God who never grows faint or weary, to lift our heads from our brick making and remember that we are the ones being built to stop pretending that we don't struggle and instead gaze up at the one who struggled on our behalf once and for all. Whether it's before my feet hit the floor in the morning or even when I need to recenter my heart in the bullseye after a morning sprint to the outer ring, directing the eyes of my heart toward God propels me toward the life and peace that I'm longing for. Most often, when we willfully choose to direct our eyes toward God, our hearts will follow. Let's look at this word presence together for just a minute. Let's even just start with, you know, good old Webster's Dictionary. Presence is a noun, and it means the fact or condition of being present, the part of space within one's immediate vicinity, the neighborhood of one of superior, especially royal rank. (laughs) It goes on, one that is present, something present of a visible or concrete nature, something such as a spirit believed to be felt or present. And of course, I always love to look at the Latin from which it came. It is a word I cannot pronounce, but it means being at hand. I love that. In the Old Testament, the word for presence that we see in verses like Psalm 139.7, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? 
This is the Hebrew word number 6440, and it means face or face as turned toward one. And it carries this idea of a close and personal face-to-face encounter with God. In the New Testament, one of the words used for presence is a word that comes around Jesus' second coming. Even the word advent is used here in the original language. Helps Word Studies says that it's used in the East as a technical expression for the royal visit of a king. The word literally means the being beside. Helps also says, and I love this, it carries this idea of the arrival of the owner who alone can deal with the situation. <laughs> And that we just say, come Lord Jesus. (laughs) Of course, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit arrives on the scene. Thank you, Lord. And the word for spirit is the word pneuma, which means wind, breath, or spirit. And of course, the word holy is before that, which means likeness of nature with the Lord, properly different, as in different from the world. It's amazing, isn't it, to even just look at what we just talked about right there, and we see one God existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each are distinct persons, and each person is fully God. And all throughout Scripture, we see God drawing near, His witness with us, and our awareness of it is so very evident and so very essential to not only flourishing in this life, but in the life to come. When I think about how my life has been shaped by God's presence in the mundane, I'm reminded that I'm not of this world. Me spending time with God is me remembering and embracing the fact that I'm set apart just like He is. As Jesus was praying to the Father for us in John 17, He voices this very thing that you and I are not of this world. And then Paul says in Romans 12 to do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're not of this world, nor are we supposed to allow ourselves to conform to this world. I want to look at that word conform in just a minute, but first I want to point out the context that this is sitting in. Again, this is Romans 12. And I don't know what your Bible has as a title over this section, but mine says, a living sacrifice. That in and of itself gives us a little bit of framework, doesn't it, of what the posture here is in not conforming to this world. It's actually the polar opposite of conforming to this world, but instead dying to it and offering ourselves, literally presenting our body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him, which is our spiritual act of worship. And yet again, here we see that God is a God of order. Paul opens Romans 12 with a therefore. Even before he pleads with us to offer ourselves fully to God, there's a therefore. And the therefore is always there for a reason. It simply means here's how the dots connect. And in this case, it's enough to say that the dots are connecting from Romans 1 through 11. Reading those chapters, as you probably know, is basically like drinking from a fire hose of truth on all things God and sin and what Christ's finished work on the cross means for us when we believe on Him. It's where we discover what life in the Spirit looks like, where we live dead to sin and alive to God. So Paul is saying here, taking into account all that I've already said, 
And knowing that you now have a belly full of what's true of God and what's true of you, then let's build our lives on this. Let's act on this daily. And next in line in the intentional order of Scripture, Paul says, by the mercies of God, I love it, right out of the gate, because of all of this, we're going to build our lives on it. How? By the mercies of God. In the original language here, it speaks of God's compassion over us, His favor, His grace. We even need Him in order to help us surrender to Him. And did you know that's okay to ask Him for that kind of help? We can say, Holy Spirit of God, help me to fall on your mercies again today and lay my life down fully to God today. This is going to be another one of those stories about how God used something that was agitating me (laughs) to help me fall on His mercies this very day, to help me come humbly before Him once again, and therefore it changed the trajectory of my day and the way I see it, my life. (laughs) I won't go into detail, but as soon as I sat down with the Lord this morning, I had carried with me a situation that happened yesterday where I became very agitated in my spirit about something. The scenario that played out was essentially this. I had very innocently, and God knows I was innocent, done something that gave the appearance, though, to others that I had deliberately done that something. And what it stirred up was worry and agitation and anxiety over what others think about me. What I wished I could do and wanted to do was to vindicate myself. And as I sat down with the Lord this morning, there it was again, playing over and over in my head. There was definitely a time in my life where I didn't have the wisdom to discern that the Lord Himself was bringing this back to my attention. There was a time that I would have thought, okay, I hate the enemy. He is always trying to bring agitating thoughts to my mind while I'm trying to read Scripture and spend time with God. And he does do that a lot of the time. But now I have the discernment to know that what felt like sandpaper on my heart this morning is actually the mercy and compassion of God that I needed to surrender myself wholly to him once again. He loves me and he wants to help settle this matter in me. I'll come back to this story in just a minute as we now look at this word conform in Romans 12 too. And remember, all of this still fits under the umbrella of the mercies of God. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word conform in the Greek is this word suskematizo, and it means identified with, having outward shape or assuming an outward form. So Paul is saying here, do not identify yourself with this world, this world that you are not of now that you belong to Christ. Because chances are, you'll start looking like this world. You'll take on the shape and characteristics of it. And Paul goes on to say again, by the mercies of God, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That word transformed is the Greek word metamorphu. The meaning and direction here is to put on another form. When you break the word down, meta means change after being with, and morphu means changing form 
in keeping with inner reality. I love that. And when you put it all together, it says properly transformed after being with. Isn't this so beautiful? And how are we transformed? By the renewal of our mind. This is inside out living, isn't it? And this is why I love the framework for looking at God's presence as His plan, because this is always happening all day long, every day. It does take time alone with God, but then that time alone with God, as we said before, and the transformation that follows that time with Him, it propels us. It causes us to flourish and for those around us to flourish. Okay, so back to my story from earlier. The sandpaper on my heart this morning, which let's be honest, it started as sandpaper on my mind as I was replaying over and over the thing that had happened the day before where I innocently did something, but what it looked like to others was that I was intentionally breaking some rules in order to get my way. And I will say, I noticeably ruffled some feathers on accident. (laughs) I know enough to know by now that what stops the rub of the sandpaper is just confession before the Lord. So in I went, and I said something like this, Lord, I need to confess to you that I care way too much right now about what those people think of me. And based on what I know about myself in the past, I have a tendency to bow down to my reputation. And I'm sorry, Lord. I confess that as sin and I come out of any agreements with the enemy that have made that involve me striving to control what others think of me. I renounce the lie that says that I have anything to prove. You and I both know that my actions were innocent, but where I began to go wrong was when I let my mind wander into territory that I didn't need to be in. I trust you that you will take care of the feathers that were ruffled and that I'm already vindicated in you, Jesus. I trust you with the scenarios that I was cooking up in my head that weren't even actually playing out. And I ask for your forgiveness for how involved I can become in wanting and trying to look right, to somehow do no wrong in the sight of others. And I fall on your mercies again today, Jesus. I need you. And again, you know, God is a God of order. We've talked about this before, that a heart of confession stirs our heart for consecration. So in I went. (laughs) Jesus, I consecrate my life to you again. I belong to you. I don't belong to me. You bought me with your blood, and I surrender every aspect of my life again to you today, Jesus. Consecration, I find, and I've said this before, it opens up more communication with the Lord. And here we can see that God's presence prompts us, it protects us, and it propels us. He prompts our hearts about sin that entangles us and distracts us from what He wants to do in and through us. He prompts our hearts to even look outward from there, to pray for others, to check on others, to serve others. The Lord actually showed me that after I prayed this morning in confession and consecration that immediately I handled a situation that involved one of our kids in a completely different way than I believe I would have before. With the agitation and the grit of that sandpaper on my heart, had I not gone to the Lord I could see myself reacting completely from the swirling tornado of thoughts in my head and causing a good bit of agitation for one of my kids as well. Instead, in surrender, I was able to discern and prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for me today to basically have no other gods before Him. I know that sounds intense, 
but that's where he wanted me to go. Nothing elevated above him that was capturing my thoughts. And it was no doubt the very thing that was causing me to have anxiety and fear. And he wanted me to trust him with the entire situation that was completely out of my control and out of my hands. And the overflow was to begin to pray very specifically for this particular child, that they would have the wisdom and discernment from the Holy Spirit in that moment to know exactly what they needed to do. And I told the Holy Spirit that only He can reveal this sort of thing to my child. I can't. And I kid you not, I got a text within minutes that I knew was a cue from the Lord that He is at work in my kid's life, and I can trust Him with their lives. Life in His presence propels us, and I believe it even changes the trajectory of our days if we're willing to go there. For some of you, it might be a season of your life that you have 10 minutes to start your day with the Lord. You might even want just to put a little soft rug in your closet or somewhere quiet where your knees can just fall. You can bow your life to the Lord and surrender as you start your day. Then maybe you could even pull a verse that you can just think on and meditate on throughout the day. As you can tell today, for me, it was Romans 12, 1 and 2. Maybe you write that scripture on a little note card and you take it with you in your car. And then as we've talked about before, you can start a conversation with the Lord in those 10 minutes in your closet or wherever you are that you can carry with you throughout your day. You can continue to build on that conversation with the Lord. It's a place to start. And my hunch is if it's genuine and if it's simple, you'll keep doing it and it will grow from there. The front room of our home is where I love to sit with the Lord. We call it the piano room. And after we get Annie off to school in the mornings, I can't wait to sit on that couch and start my day there with the Lord. I read scripture a lot of times out loud. Sometimes I end up at the piano and I worship. But for sure, what I always try to include is just sitting still, sitting in the quiet, knowing He is right there. Sometimes I begin to pray in my mind or out loud from that, but I need at least a portion of that time to just be spent in quiet with Him. There is definitely a time for digging into Scripture, for picking it apart and studying it. And you know me, I actually enjoy that. But I try to even flow into that time of digging into Scripture from that moment of stillness with Him. It's vital for me. Think back on the story I just told you, mixed with the beautiful truth that God is a God of order. The stillness was the platform for the prompting presence of God. I know myself, and if I had gone straight to Scripture and even prayer, I'm easily inspired on my behalf and yours, and I can quickly get on little tangents of reading things and studying the deeper meanings of things, and all the while just squirming with an agitated spirit inside. All that to say, I need that stillness. I need the quiet. I need to breathe and just know He's there in order for me to move into the other parts of meeting with God and being in His Word and even praying. Do you remember me telling you about the song Home, how I literally woke up in the night to the sound of me singing the first line of that song? I took my phone and I just began to jot down the majority of that song at four o'clock in the morning. And you probably remember too that only two nights before was my moment on the porch with God last spring, the one that felt like a homecoming where I told you I saw Him see me for the first time in a really long time. And I recognize now that it was because I let myself be found by Him 
in that moment and stillness. God who sees saw me and I saw him. And I remembered that it's not the songs or the books or the podcast. It's not the concert dates or the music streaming. It's him. Yet there I was in that season, not able to see the beautiful forest for the trees. A few weeks after the Lord gave me the song Home, as well as the song of Valor and the rest of the songs on the new album that just began to fall in the place after that, He had me looking at the word content. I know for some of you content creators out there that that word literally makes you queasy. (laughs) Talk about maybe even agitated in your spirit. But I also know that the average person now has an unusual amount of people looking in on their lives every day. And for that reason, we can all pretty much feel the pressure to be content creators. But as I was looking at the word content, I noticed for the first time ever, I'm sad to say, that it looks exactly like the word content. Ever notice that? You might already know where this is going. But as I stared at that word content, this thought came to my mind, and I know it was the Lord. The content comes from being content. Then as I sat still, the Lord just elaborated and reminded me, as He often does, that He's the greatest content creator there is. Even that line right there, that's His line. He said that to me. (laughs) He has all the content you and I will ever need. Beauty that pairs right along with our gifting and wiring. And if we want to use the content by sharing it with others, He's faithful to inspire and lift and encourage others through it. But in order for the content to keep coming without it feeling like you're constantly whatever the cat decided to drag in that day, we must form the habit of being contented in His presence. I want to leave you with a song today. It's the overture from my new album called This Is The Hour, available everywhere you listen to music. I feel like I always need to say that. And did you know we also have CDs? ChristineKnuckles.com or Amazon, I think, but you can actually get a CD if you're feeling that right now. Anyway, I want to give you a little bit of background on this song. It's so very special to me. First of all, the first part of it is a beautiful instrumental written by my husband, Nathan. I had asked him if he had any orchestral style pieces that might could fit on the album, and he very humbly played me this instrumental, and I knew right away that it was supposed to flow right into what I had already been writing for the overture. I'm so happy, by the way, to tell you that Nathan has been busy working on a full worship instrumental record that is going to come out hopefully sometime early summer. So stay tuned for that. The heart behind it is music that you can read to or take a walk to or sit in God's presence to, all of the above. Some of you might even want to you know, listen while you sleep, <laughs> but I'm excited to hear it myself. He's been a little bit tucked away working on it for a while, and I'm so excited to get to hear what he's been up to. But anyway, I'll never forget the day that I first began to sing this overture at the piano. The very first line was one that I mentioned recently on the podcast. This is the hour, time to ask the heart, who do you love? I remember thinking what a bold question it was. You know, one that I knew I'd have to deal with for myself first before singing it over anyone else. And then the next line came, time to hold allegiance for the one to bow our lives and kiss the sun. That line, kiss the sun, was 
from being in Psalm 2, which the next song in the album, As For Me, is completely based from. But in this psalm, to kiss the sun is to bow as to the king, to pay homage, but also even carries this idea of just total allegiance, submission, and obedience to Jesus. The psalm points to David, but ultimately it points to our eternal King, Jesus. Those are a few words that are definitely not celebrated in our culture, even in some Christian cultures, obedience and submission to Jesus. This comes with a warning in Psalm 2 to rejoice with trembling and bow our lives. But I also love that the very last line of the psalm comes with a blessing. It says, blessed are all who take refuge in His name. So there's a caution but with a promise of covering and blessing if we respond. I believe this verse represents those who God is calling to trust Jesus even for the very first time. This is the hour. The second verse says, this is the age to welcome all the prodigals home. But the Father's heart is still merciful, and He is watching and ready to run. This is a call out to those who once knew the extravagance of the Father's love, mercy, kindness, and provision, yet who have wandered far from the Father's heart and even squandered what was once a great inheritance in Him. If that's you, God is not angry with you. If that's one of your children, God is not angry with them. I think about Nathan and I and our own children. If they ran from home and were far from the Lord and yet returned— I think about how I wouldn't spend one single minute being one bit upset with them. I would just be rejoicing and crying and jumping up and down that they came home. If if I am, you know, as an earthly mom would react in that way, how much more does the heavenly Father react that way when his children come home? And if that's you, if you've wandered far from the Father's heart, far from home, I picture him on the porch in this hour with his running shoes on. (laughs) He's ready to run as he sees you coming home to his heart. The third verse, I believe, is an invitation for those of us who have followed the Lord a long time, but maybe there's other loves that have caught our eye and the call is to come back to our first love. Or maybe the invitation is to endure in these days. It says this, this is the day Trim your lamp and spend all that you have on the oil that keeps your flame lit until the day that he comes. This verse originated from Matthew 25, where Jesus tells the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. This parable, according to scholars, has to do with each person being ready for Jesus's return. The oil and the flame or the lamp represent our personal spiritual condition and our relationship with the Lord. Oil throughout Scripture represents the very presence of God and the Holy Spirit. And the flame or lamp, I believe, represents our faith. I believe that the main message here in Scripture is that we're to be ready no matter what hour Jesus returns We should be prepared and looking ahead, knowing exactly where we stand with the Lord. I also believe that we're living in a day where we're seeing many walk away from the Lord. I think we can receive this truth in Matthew 25 as a caution to not be casual with the oil in our lamp, but to be very intentional 
with keeping our flame lit. And then the chorus of the song, it opens up and it says this, everybody make a run for the father, calling all you sons and you daughters. He is waiting for us. He is waiting for us to see his heart in the son that he gave us to receive the life that only he gives us. He is waiting for us. And this is the hour. My dear friend Megan was listening to the album with me during the first few days that we had the finished project in our hands. And she sat and listened to the entire thing with me and asked me lots of questions after the songs. And and she asked me about the overture. She, she wanted to hear what it meant to me. And as I began to talk to her about this part in the chorus, everybody make a run for the Father, I told her that I just have this sense that this is the hour that the Father is saying to all of us, it's time to come home. And then a phrase came out of my mouth that I hadn't thought about in a while. I said, it's like, ollie ollie in free. She looked at me funny and I looked at her just as funny because I hadn't thought about that phrase in a really long time or even in relationship to this song. And I didn't even really know the full meaning of it. So I sat there and, you know, looked up on my phone immediately, Wikipedia, ollie ollie, And it's actually Ollie Ollie Oxen Free. And it was this catchphrase or a truce term that was used in children's games, such as hide and seek, capture the flag, or kick the can, to indicate that players who are hiding can come out into the open without losing the game. That the positions of the sides in a game has changed, or alternatively, that the game is entirely over. They believe that the original phrase was, calling all the outs in free or possibly even, all ye, all ye out, sin free. It was yelled out by the person who was it to all the people hiding to signify that the game has changed and all who are out may come in without penalty. My friend Megan and I just sat there kind of stunned as we read the meaning and the fact that it just rolled off of my tongue in that moment. I believe this is a bidding from the Father's heart by the Holy Spirit in this hour for all of us to respond in coming back to home base, whatever that looks like to fully return to His heart, to see His heart and the Son that He gave us, and to receive the life that only He gives us. I'll talk to you soon. This is the hour Time to ask the heart, who do you love? And time to hold allegiance for the one To bow our lives and kiss the sun
day, until the day, until the day.